What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. They had this week circled on their calendars for some time, knowing that this was their opportunity to make some money. They get to the place and they set up their booths and their tables and, and, and get everything all set up because this is the money-making week for them. It's Passover week and everybody's going to be coming in from all over the place to try to uh, bring their sacrifices in. And, 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 and when you're coming from all over the place, that means you're going to have to mon- have money changers there. That means that there's going to be, uh, the, the, you got to tra- change your coins for, to, to be accepted uh, there in in the city and there's also a table set up there's people who have who have livestock in case oh did you forget about uh your sacrifice did you leave your sacrifice your animal for sacrifice at home don't worry we got you covered with some pigeons here they'll do the trick uh why don't you just take some money from us it was a prime opportunity for people to take advantage of those coming in And when he came into the temple, when he saw what was going on, he would have none of it. The heir apparent comes into the temple to see how the people are reacting, how it's responding. And instead of seeing a place of, of, of silence and of prayer, there's, there's murmuring, there's, there's trade transactions going on, there's business happening, and he will not stand for a second of it. So he starts flipping tables that, that the money is on. He starts driving out every single person that's taking advantage of these people coming in. And he says that my house will be a house of prayer not a den of robbers. And he drives them all out. And then he leaves, <laughs> he leaves and, he, and he curses a, a fig tree on his way out. He comes back into the city the next morning to go back into the temple. And the Pharisees start questioning, questioning his authority. Before he left the day before, he started healing and, and, and cleansing people the way that Jesus does. They start questioning his authority. And so he starts sharing these parables over and over again, giving a warning to the Pharisees, to the chief priests, that your time is drawing near. And in the parable that we're going to look at today, 
today. It's in Matthew uh, 21. We're going to start in verse 33. In this parable, Jesus pretty much lays out the entire Old Testament in this parable and also is foretelling what's about to happen. He, he, he talks about his own death that's about to happen. So grab your Bibles, grab some, some uh, coffee, get whatever you need. Also, just a quick shout across the bow. We are going to be doing communion today. So if you have any of that kind of stuff around, make sure you um, make sure you get that all around so that we can celebrate that at the end or if you guys want to celebrate at the end, however that's going to do, all right? All right, Matthew 21, that's the, um, that's the chapter we're in. We're going to start in verse 33. He's in the temple right now and he's talking to all the crowd. These aren't just disciples. These aren't just people that are following him. There's Pharisees and, and, and chief priests in here as well, people who don't like Jesus. And this is during Passover week. So he's got just a few days of, of time left on his earthly ministry. Here's what he says. Verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. All right, what's going on right here? We've got the, the master uh, of, of a house who plants a vineyard, all right? So this guy goes in and he plants a vineyard uh, and, and he puts a fence around it. He builds a, a wine press, which is built into stone, dug out into stone, and it's, it's a wine press. You step on it uh, and, and a watchtower. And he, and he makes this incredible place and he leased it to the tenants and then he leaves. This is basically talking about creation, right? In, in, in page one, of creation, God over and over again saw that it was good. He, he, he speaks the earth into existence and he says uh, after each day and he saw that it was good. So he built this wine press and a vineyard and a watchtower around it. And then he put tenants, he, he leased people to take care of it. He leased Adam and Eve, hey, let's take care of this property. Let's, let's manage uh, this vineyard that God has created in the Garden of Eden, God's going to go. You're going to manage this on your own now. God over and over again kept saying, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And when it was time for him to hand it over to Adam and Eve, you're going to start naming the animals. You're going to be doing it. Well, he started naming the animals before Eve, but you're going to do all this together. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. God is saying this. And he says that they were together, that they were together. And that was good. He's, so he's giving them, he, he then says that basically you can trust me with what is good, but I'm going to let you guys decide what's good. I, I know what's good and you can trust me that I know what's good and you can trust in my promises in my heart that I am good but I'm going to give you an option because love requires an option love requires a choice and he needed to let Adam and Eve decide for themselves what was good verse 35 and the tenants took his servants Let me read you 34 again. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Now, this is where we do a little bit deviation from the parable. The tenants are no longer Adam and Eve, all right? Uh, well, I guess they kind of could be. I'm not going to get mixed up in the details. Here's the thing. Man went their own separate ways. 
God created this beautiful vineyard for people to enjoy, for us to have the the Garden of Eden. He created this entire world for us to utilize, to multiply, to uh, to to take care of, to to manage the earth. And what happens, man? Page three of the Bible. They define good and evil on their own, without God. See, they were they were tempted with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent came up and said, uh, did God really say? And right off the bat, we have uh, Adam and Eve being tempted into something and questioning the goodness of who God is. And that still carries on today. We start doing whatever is right in our own eyes. If you want to follow along in Judges, that's what happens over and over and over and over again. Uh, it usually, um, every chapter usually ends with, and they did what was right in their own eyes. They defined good and evil from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they decided to eat that fruit. And we've been doing the same thing. We say we know better than God. And on page three, we have the fall of man. Servants, the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Sin entered the world and on page four and five, you see that Cain kills his brother Abel. It keeps going and going towards disorder and disorder and disorder until you get to chapter seven, uh, when it's time for another restart. God's not gonna, uh, he, he's not gonna deal with this anymore and, and we just need a fresh start. So he calls on a guy named Noah who was faithful, who was, uh, who, who was, who was following God, one of the only people in the earth following God, the only person, him and his family following God. And so he, with Noah, says, hey, we're going to build a boat. You guys are going to be, be the, we're going to restart this, this, um, this creation. And it's going to be up to you guys to repopulate the earth. And so that's exactly what happens. Chapter seven, it's time for the restart. Noah uh, gets into the boat. God makes a way for his people to now, again, start over. God's giving people, humanity, a second chance. Here we go. Here's your chance again. I'm giving you a way, Noah, and through you, this has to happen. And then at the end of that story, Noah gets off the boat. They, he, he plants a vineyard. And not long after, Noah gets drunk and he uh, goes into his tent and there's some pretty awful stuff that happens there. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know some awful stuff happens there. And now we have fallen apart again. And so now there's separation between between family, uh, who's doing the right thing, who's doing the wrong thing. And then as they grow, Noah's still a very old man, but they keep growing, they keep getting older, uh, and they keep having children. And the same thing starts happening. We are better than God. We know better than God. So we can uh, make decisions for our own self. And that's exactly what continues on. Chapter 11, you get the Tower of Babel. Everybody's like, we're going to create this, this tower uh, in, the, in a place called Babel. We're going we're gonna to build this tower. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on what it was actually called. It starts with a Z. It's like a ziggurat or something. Uh, basically, it was a place to worship, but it wasn't to worship God. It was to prove how good they were. So in chapter 11, God's not going to do another restart this time. He's not going to keep recycling the same thing. We started with Adam and Eve. Then we had to start over with Noah. Now we're not going to start over again, but I am going to make this more difficult. So he separates everybody out, confuses them with with different languages, and uh, he makes another way for people to move closer to God. In the 12th chapter, 
God calls on a guy named Abraham. Even though Abraham is old, God's going to say through you, Abraham, I'm going to build a nation of people. Even though you're old, you're going to be the one that has a son. And so God makes this promise to Abraham that through him, his, his offspring is going to be too great to count. And through him, there's going to be a savior. Through him, restoration, rescue is going to happen through the seed of Abraham. God makes another way. And he makes it clear that he is the only way. So even though the, the tenants took the servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another, even though we have been uh, mutilating God's promises, we've been trying to do things our own way, and God still makes a way for us over and over and over again. Goes on, Abraham has kids and his kids have kids. We get to a guy named Joseph. God makes a way through Joseph, who's the youngest of his brothers, and he lets the brothers know that he's the favorite. God makes a way through him, even through all the trials, even through everything that he's accused of over and over. God is with him. God does not forget about poor Joe. Going through the most turbulent times, being in prison, being falsely accused of something. God made a way. And he sends all of his people to go to Egypt because Joseph is there. Several hundred years pass. Pretty, and, and, and over those several hundred years, promises are forgotten between Egypt and Joseph and his people. And soon enough, the Israelites are, are under Egyptian rule. They're slaves. One day Pharaoh notices how many Egyptians there are. There's a lot of Egyptian, or uh, how many Israelites there are. There's a lot of them. And if you want to squelch any sort of thing that's going on, you just take out the entire race. So Pharaoh decides in that moment that he is going to uh, annihilate. He sends orders out that every firstborn male of the Israelites must be killed. A mother is in her house when she hears this. She gets word about what's happening and her infant son, firstborn. She would do anything to protect that firstborn son. So she puts him in a basket, builds this basket good enough to float down the Nile River. Now, if you've seen the movie, the water's crashing all over the place. That's not what was actually going on, all right? Uh, she put it in the Nile River and, and, and made it so, just so that it would land where it needed to go, where there was a lot of people uh, with wealth, people of influence who would maybe see that. And that same day when, when, when she sends her baby down the river, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and notices a baby in the basket. And she tells her servants, hey, go get that, go get that basket. And, and, and she sees the basket. She sees the baby. She sees it's a little Hebrew baby. And she's like, I'm keeping it. 
we're, we're going to keep this as our own. And I don't know about you. This, so, so, so an Israelite, a Hebrew goes into the palace that Pharaoh, uh, this is the same decree that Pharaoh sent out saying, hey, whoever, who, who, the, the firstborn of all Israelites, the firstborn male of all Israelites must be killed. Now, there's a Hebrew in the court. And I don't know if you've ever taken home uh, a, a puppy that isn't yours, but as soon as you bring that puppy home, it's yours. There's no getting around it. So, so dads, moms, don't let anyone bring a puppy into your house because it's just going to stay and it's going to become your own. Or if you're the porters, it's going to be a horse. You can never turn down another horse. Once it enters into your home, do the horses go in the house? Once it enters onto your property, that horse is yours. So that's exactly what happened. And God made a way through Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt through a bunch of parable, or parables, through a bunch of uh, plagues. Ten plagues God sends them. Finally, Pharaoh relents. Moses and his people go. Millions of them. And they enter into the wilderness. God shows up on a mountain. Moses goes and visits God for 40 days. In those 40 days, while all the Israelites are down there and Moses is up on the mountaintop, the Israelites get tired and restless and they decide, even though they've seen God, the the effects of God and who God was, even though they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, they decided that they had waited long enough. And they were going to build their own gods of bronze, And they were going to do whatever was right in their own eyes. And Moses comes back down. He's like, what in the world? Why? You guys can't even last a month. Oh, church, don't be discouraged when we lose faith, we lose focus, because, man, we're just like Israelites. History repeats itself over and over. Good people rising up, the nation returning, calling out. And then forgetting, people rising up, then the nation returning, and then forgetting again. It goes over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus is saying in these first two, three verses. Saying, listen, God built this beautiful vineyard. When I sent people to see how the fruit was going, you guys rejected them. You stoned them. You killed them. You beat them. Verse 8 or I'm sorry, verse 36, uh, getting sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Same thing. They were, they were beating them and stoning them and killing them. The next ones that came. So Jesus is, is referencing the prophets here. Man, we sent prophet after prophet after prophet for you guys to, to know what was happening, to, 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 to speak truth. Now, now these prophets, they weren't foretelling. They were forth telling. And that's a difference. They were forthtelling the word of God, reminding the people of the truths of God. And here's the thing. They're, 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 people hate truth in a world of non-truth, don't they? People hate truth in a world of non-truth. These were basically Old Testament lawyers saying, remember the covenant, remember the promise. This is, we're going off track again. We're, we're losing it. We're going off track. We need to come back to God. There's a reason Jeremiah is called the suffering, uh, no, not the suffering, the, uh, the sad prophet. He's, he's the melancholy prophet. Because they were destroyed. 
It's lonely work. Keeping the promises of God. Reminding people of the truth of God when they don't want to hear it, when it's a culture of non-truth. I don't know if we have anything like that today. A lot of these prophets were mocked, they were laughed at, and many of them were killed. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Jesus is saying, look, first of all, you had Adam and Eve. That was the start. You had Noah. You had Moses. You had Joseph. The list can go on and on. You had Israel. You had all those judges, and the same things happened over and over and over again. says in that time people abandoned God for gods of success and sexuality and then they would eventually come back over and over again gods of sexuality gods of success and that's why we read the Old Testament to remember all of these things that went on over and over again because they're just mirrors of ourselves uh, on a daily basis, it seems like, where we, we, we forego the God of the universe and we hold up the God of success or the God of sexuality, whatever it is that is right in front of us at the time. And we reject the one true God. And then Jesus goes on with this parable. He says, this is exactly what's happened over and over again. This is the parable that I'm sharing. Uh, the, the, the owner sent people to come get the, the things and you killed them. You rejected them. You stoned them. He says, finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They thought they could get ahead. There's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, the ending of the Old Testament. And what happened on a night in Bethlehem where hope entered the world again. And a little baby was born. A divine experience. And a divine event that happened where, where a little baby was born to take away the sin of the world in a little town called Bethlehem, which just happened to be uh, right the prime spot for a message to, to, to spread throughout the entire world. Say all roads lead to Rome, but they also have to go through Bethlehem. Everything from Asia goes there to the sea. Everything from the sea comes in right there. Everything from Rome, it's a huge trade route. So this is the moment in time for the first time where, where trade routes are easily able to be managed. Maybe not easily, but they're managed to, to, to go to where they need to go to. And so for the first time in history, that moment is ready. And when that moment happens, that's when Jesus enters the scene. He grew up and at the age of 30, 30 years after his birth, he starts his earthly ministry. He starts healing people. He starts 
making waves with people. He starts upsetting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and the religious people of the day. He starts giving hope to the hopeless people who had nothing. He kept riling up the Pharisees and the chief priests. He would override their authority and talk circles around them. People started to reject Jesus because people hate truth in a world of pride and control. Jesus came to came to love, he came to heal and forgive. But pride got in the way and Jesus is telling them, foretelling them, forth telling them what's about to happen. That they're out of time. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Just a few days from this moment, Jesus would be put on trial. He would be convicted to die of crucifixion. They put a tree on him and told him to carry his cross outside the village limits, the city limits walk up the, onto Mount Calvary and hang on a cross for each one of us. God, once more time, once more time, one more time, making a way for you and for me. See, if we can learn anything from the Old Testament and, and, and the New Testament, it's that over and over, even though we fail, even though we fall back on our promises, even though dot, 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 God still makes a way. And he did it one final time with his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus offers a warning to the Pharisees and the people in the temple. He says, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, sorry, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. He said, you guys are not going to be doing what you were, you were called to do. You're not going to, um, you're going to reject the stone. You're going to be, you're, you're going to reject Jesus. That means it's going to go to somebody else. You're not going to have the vineyard anymore. You're not going to have the fruit of the vineyard. We're going to give it to people who actually do. And in this moment, Jesus opens up the world. He opens up his world to anyone that would come after him will now be saved. Jesus is like, if you're not going to do it, God started it with you and you're rejecting him. You're rejecting me, Jesus says. And if that happens, now that that's happening, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to open this up to everyone and everyone is going to have access to my grace, to my vineyard, to my love, to my mercy. 
No questions asked. But for anyone who is rejecting Jesus, that the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So the question is, where do you have Jesus, the cornerstone, in your life? Because a stone in its improper place <laughs> is dangerous, isn't it? Where do you have Jesus, the cornerstone? He calls himself the cornerstone. The cornerstone is a place in a, in a foundation where it sets the trajectory for the rest of the building. It's the first piece in, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it's the most important piece. It's going to show, uh, okay, the building is going to face this way, and it's going to start right here, and it's going to go this high. And, and if the cornerstone is put in the wrong place, it's not going to work. And it becomes a stumbling spot for people. A stone in its improper place is dangerous. And Jesus is dangerous to some. So Ken, where do you have Jesus the cornerstone? How many of us have rejected Jesus the cornerstone? Maybe not intentionally but we're rejecting him. Through the things that we do, through the way that we act. And it seems like it's not adding up. We're not getting ahead in life. Nothing is making sense. We keep coming up empty. That's because cultivating your life starts with Jesus as the cornerstone. Too many of us spend so much time cultivating our life with something else at the cornerstone. For some of us, maybe it's, maybe it's schooling. As we, have, we have the cornerstone of good grades. And we think, if only I get enough good grades, then, then I'll have a better life. Then I'll be able to get the degree that I want, which is going to give me the job I want, and I'm going to graduate at the top of my class, and it's going to be awesome the rest of my life. Nothing is going to be a problem anymore because I've got those good grades. But eventually, your mind will fail you. Our mind's going to fail us. So the cornerstone of good grades is going to falter. It's only going to get us so far. Some of us rely on the cornerstone of financial success. But here's the thing. You can lose it in an instant. All that money that you've earned, it can just be gone just like that. And what happens when your cornerstone just crumbles? The entire life that you've built crumbles. Sometimes we have a, a cornerstone of other people that we think other people are going to fill us up. Other people are going to be the thing that keeps us going on and, and other people are great. Other people are great for community. You should probably join a community group, honestly, because it's better. Church is better with people. Church is done in circles, not in pews, not in rows. We don't have pews. Uh, and, and so, man, get involved in a community group, whether it's Man Up, whether it's Lyft, which is our men's and women's groups, whether it's the coffee shop at Mundo's, whether it's, uh, we got another one starting up next Tuesday, man, at, at the Whole Fells residence. There's a place for you. We got student ministries that happens on Sunday nights here at the chapel. Man, there's so many opportunities for you to get involved. 
people are a great way to get involved in the church, but don't make people the cornerstone. Don't make me your cornerstone. I know that I'm going to fail you. Don't make your kids your cornerstone because, man, eventually your kids are going to grow up and leave you. And what do you do when you don't have that cornerstone anymore? You just fall apart. You don't love your wife. You don't love your husband because your kids are gone. You've dedicated your entire life. Your foundation, your cornerstone is built on your children. And so when they get up and move out of the house, you're left with nothing. Everything falls apart. You've got there, there's nothing you can turn to anymore, and you can become depressed and saddened, and that's why people get divorced later on in life. You can't make your spouse your cornerstone because they're going to fail you too. They're human just like the rest of us. Your spouse is never going to measure up to what you think they should be. Some of us have the cornerstone of work. You build the business big enough, build the thing big enough, be the best employee. But that never stops, does it? It just leads you to a life of busyness. Because you'll never be satisfied with the work. There's always more to be done. There's always another person to please. There's always more money to be had. There's always more things to learn. Man, Jesus is the only cornerstone that satisfies. When we put Jesus as our cornerstone for, the, for, for our lives. That's going to give us the trajectory of our lives, and that's going to be a foundation that can be built upon that will not move. I've talked about it before, but Jesus tells Peter that on this rock, I will build my church. On the rock that Jesus is who he says he is that he is the savior of the world, that he lived a perfect life, that he was going to die for our sins and that he was going to rise again to defeat Satan, sin and death so that we can call him Lord, that his righteousness would be on us, that he took our sin, our shame, our guilt and put it on himself and buried it in the tomb. And he left it there when he walked out of the tomb so that we don't have to be buried in sin and guilt and shame anymore, but we can live free with him. And we live free with him when we have Jesus as our cornerstone. Man, whatever happens in life, whatever's going on, whatever trouble befalls you, whatever, whatever, whatever stuff is going to happen to you as a person, whatever things get in the way, people are going to fail because people suck. Life is going to be difficult. There's going to be so many things that get in the way of our walk with Jesus Christ. And man, I've had some difficult things this week that have really gotten in the way of my walk with Jesus Christ. I haven't been able to focus on anything. And I'm hurting pretty hard. And I constantly need to be reminded that it's not people that are my cornerstone. It's not money that's my cornerstone. It's not the perception that people have of me as my cornerstone. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Is my cornerstone and on that rock, I will stand. Everything else will fall away. But Jesus will remain. And he promises that for us.
Peter knew this. Even though he denied Jesus three times, he knew the grace of Jesus more than anyone else. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus gave him opportunity after opportunity to come back to him. <clears throat> and Peter did. And his whole life was changed. And Peter wrote in chapter 2, or somebody wrote for Peter. First Peter chapter 2 says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you're following after Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Man, he's a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Let that stone enter into our hearts so that we can be like living stones built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is what Jesus was calling out in the parable. And then you're rejecting me, and you're going to stumble over this stone. Church, I beg you, I plead with you, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, the stone, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ is only going to be a stumbling block for you. You're going to fall at the end, it says we either come before Jesus and, and, and we willingly bow before him or we're going to come to Jesus and he's going to make us bow. We're going to stumble over the cornerstone. We're going to be like, what was that? And God's going to be like, that's my son, Jesus Christ, whom you should have put in your life. Since the beginning of time, I've been moving towards this moment of Jesus surrendering himself for everyone and, 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 and you're rejecting it. Peter remembered that. So again, I ask, where do you have Jesus, the cornerstone? Is he in his proper place? At the foundation of your life? Or is that cornerstone just trying to get put into your house of wealth? Or your house of family? Or your house of your work? Or your house of how smart you are? But if we build that foundation on Jesus Christ, it'll transform our finances. 
He'll transform our relationships. He'll transform our knowledge. I thought it would be fitting to, to do communion today. Talking so much about Jesus, the cornerstone. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then, then communion is something that we ought to do together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's no pressure for you to do communion. In fact, we'd ask you not to. But if you have some juice around and you got a cracker around or some bread, it doesn't have to be specifically the things that we use at Restoration Church. We've got, um, we've got bread that's gluten-free so that everybody can take communion and we just have juice. It's not, the, it's not what we have that matters. It's why we do it and what we're doing it for. So if you've got any of those supplies around, if you're with your family, wherever you are, man, take some time. Reflect on, on who Jesus is, what he's done for you. And if there's anything in us that needs to be brought out, forgiveness of sins, and we need to do that. If you've put Jesus as your cornerstone of your life, 1 Corinthians 11 says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So church, when you're ready, we invite you to take communion. Remembering what Jesus did on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. The world is going to get you down. But if Jesus is our cornerstone, then we'll make it through. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I admit that I'm weary. And God, there's times where I've lost focus of you. Lord, please continue to be the cornerstone of my life. And God, I pray for people who are listening and watching, God, that they would put you as the cornerstone of their lives as well. We would give up the things that we're hoping for even the good things, God, and we would just lay it down at your feet. God, whatever burden we're bearing right now, that we would just take it off of ourselves.
put it on your feet. God, be the cornerstone of our lives. Thank you for who you are, for your grace and your mercy, evident throughout Scripture, Lord, evident throughout the Old Testament that you never leave. It's in your precious name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can take communion whenever you're ready.